Well, thank you, Marie. Thank you for reading for us. And good morning. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, how good was it to see those photos from Equip yesterday? Emily, my wife, came home and said it was, um, it was brilliant. So, so, yeah, hugely encouraging. And thank you, Gail, wherever you are, for, for sharing. That was, um, yeah, really lovely to see how you've been encouraged from that book. And uh, that's been an encouragement to me this morning. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. But uh, we're back in Colossians this week. We're continuing our sermon series. Let me pray uh, in light of uh, the, the prayer from Colossians chapter 1 from the beginning of our series. And then we're going to look at chapter 3. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we ask that you might fill us this morning with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and all spiritual understanding so that we might walk worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power that we might endure with patience joyfully, giving thanks to you always for what you've done in Jesus, your son. And this we ask in his name. Amen. Well, uh, Two weeks ago, if you remember two weeks ago when we were uh, back in Colossians, I raised the question, how do you grow as a Christian? That was our question. That was our topic. And uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, it's talked a lot about growing like Jesus. And rightly so. That's God's will for your life. Be, Be clear on that. God's will for every single person is that they might grow more and more like Jesus, God's son, to the praise of God's glory. That That's God's will for your life. But the question was, how how do you grow? How do we become more Christ-like, more like Jesus? And two weeks ago, we looked at what not to do. We looked at two bad strategies, if you remember. Uh, Man-made religion and rules are not what will save us or grow us. And supernatural and, and spiritual experiences and looking for those and hunting for those, they are not what will save us and grow us. No, Jesus is the one who saves us. And he grows us. Praise God. But we could have left two weeks ago thinking, well, I don't need to do anything then. You know, if, if Jesus has done it all, how great's that? Jesus has saved me. He's done it all. Brilliant. I can tick that box. I can move on. It's, it's done. It doesn't matter what I do. Uh, we could have left two weeks ago having what I call a mafia Christianity. And uh, I apologize in advance to any Italian brethren here today. But uh, do you know what mafia Christianity is? Let me give you a picture. Uh, So just think of basically any Italian mafia movie you've seen. So, you know, The Godfather, The Goodfellas, um, uh, The Irishman or Mafia Mama, if you want some kind of more recent ones. But basically, they're all the same. There's, There's Italian mobster movies where every second person is called Tony or Jimmy or Tommy. Uh, and it's probably about six Tonys. And uh, you always get that scene in these Italian mobster movies where, you know, some guy, one mobster goes out and he whacks someone. And, you know, whack is slang for kill someone, right? They whack someone, they kill someone. And then the next day, what does the mobster do? He goes and he sees the priest, uh, the Catholic priest, because they're Italian, they're, they're always Roman Catholics. And he goes into the confessional and he confesses his sin to the priest. And the priest says, oh, look, you've done this bad thing. Go and say three uh, Uh, Hail Marys, and so you'll be forgiven. And so he goes off, he says his three Hail Marys. All then for the mobster to go out the next day, get his machine gun, and, you know, kill half a dozen more people. That's mafia Christianity. That's the kind of Christianity that says it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, Jesus has done it all. You'll be forgiven anyway. So it doesn't matter what you do. Do as you please. And two weeks ago, we could have left thinking, well, 
I know what not to do. And so maybe it doesn't really matter what I do at all. Maybe it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what we do as Christians whatsoever. But it matters hugely. If we are to grow as Christians, we must do. And here's my provocative line for the day. What we must do if we are to grow as Christians is become killers. Nobody thought they were going to hear that at church today, did they? There's my provocative line. It sounds like mafia Christianity. If we are to grow as Christians, we must be killers. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, get to Colossians chapter 3. Make sure you've got it in front of you. And uh, the first few verses of, of Colossians chapter 3, they are some of the most important verses to understand in the New Testament. Uh, what the first few verses of chapter 3 teach us is so foundational, so, prov- so profound. We, we must understand these first few verses uh, to then understand what I mean by uh, our need to be killers. So have a look, chapter 1, verse 3, and it is point 1 on your outline, raised and hidden with Christ. Chapter 1 from verse 3, uh, chapter 3, sorry, from verse 1. So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. And this really flows uh, from what we saw at the end of chapter 3, where where Paul talks about dying with Christ. But the point he's making here in in chapter 3 is huge. If you are a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then something happened the day you decided to follow Jesus, something amazing. You died on that day. And not only did you die the day you decided to follow Jesus, you were raised to new life on that day. Raised with Christ. You see, what you have here standing in front of you right now is 21-year-old Mike. Uh, I know the years haven't been very kind to me if I'm 21. But I became a new creation 21 years ago. I decided to follow Jesus. I came to understand who Jesus was and chose to follow him. And on that day... I became a new creation. I was born again. I'm 21. There's a theologically justified way to lie about your age. But you see, that, that's true for every single one of us here this morning who called Jesus our Lord and Savior. The moment you did, when you started to follow Jesus, you died. And then you rose again to live the new life with Christ. And this is really important to understand because the Christian is not the person who decides to add Jesus to their existing life. That's not the Christian life. You don't sort of become a Christian and decide, well, what I'd like to do is add a little bit of faith to my current life. Actually, life's pretty good, and so what I want to do is I want to add a little bit of, uh, of Sunday church attendance to my life, or, or I'd like to add a little bit of Christian morality to my life. No, no, to become a Christian is not to continue as you were in your old life and then add Jesus. It's to die to the old life. It's to give your life to Jesus and then be raised to new life with him. And in being raised, your life then becomes hidden with Jesus. Did you see that in verse 3? Look again at verse 3. Again, really important to understand this. Your life at that point becomes hidden with Jesus. Uh, it's a bit like The Matrix, if you know the movie, or Inception, or uh, 
Stranger Things, if, if, you know, depending what generation you fall under. Uh, so, you know, in the Matrix, there's the real world, uh, and then there's the Matrix world. Or if you've seen Inception, there's the real world, and then there's the dream world. Or if you know Stranger Things, there's the world we have it like we know now, and then there's the upside down. Well, the Bible, it gives us the spiritual reality. It says, yes, we live in this world, the earthly world we're in now. Yes, we live in this world. That's the world of verse 2. If you have a look at verse 2, it's, it's what is on the earth. But the Christian, for the Christian, verse 3, your life is hidden with the Messiah. There's this spiritual reality. You're, you're raised and hidden with Jesus. There's the spiritual world, which is the real world. And here's the problem. Just like the Matrix or Inception or Stranger Things, that the majority of people are blind to that reality. Most, most, you know, they don't see that there's a real world behind the Matrix or a dream world or the upside-down world. Well, it's the same with our world today. The majority of people are blind to that spiritual reality. You see, most cannot see that Jesus is raised and that he sits at the right hand of God. Most people, they they cannot see that the Christian is raised and hidden with Jesus at that right hand of God in the spiritual realm. People are blind to those realities. But it will one day be revealed. See, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. When the Messiah, that's Jesus, the Christ, when the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And so when Jesus returns, when that day we're all longing for finally comes of the new creation, then the veil will be removed. Then everyone will know the true reality. But until that day, until that day actually comes, we must remember that spiritual reality. We, we have to remember that that's the reality. You see, that's why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians 2,000 years ago and why God caused it to be written down so that God can speak it to us today because even the Christian, we forget what's really real because we're on the earth and we forget what's really real. You see, it doesn't always feel as though we've died with Christ. It doesn't always feel as though we're now raised with Jesus, seated in the heavenly realm in all its glory. It doesn't feel like that often. You see, what we see is is the world of sin and suffering and difficulty. What we cannot see is the reality of of being raised with Christ because it's hidden. The Bible tells us it's hidden. It's hidden, but it's real. You can't see it, but it's there. You see, we can't be deceived by our feelings or deceived by perceptions. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you died. And you've been raised again. And your life is hidden with Jesus. And Jesus will come. He will return. He will come again. And when he does, all will be revealed. And that will be glorious. And we will see. And that's the reality. And that is the starting point for growing as a a Christian. You see, the starting point is to remember that spiritual reality. To remember who you are, that you are risen and hidden with Christ. Because do you know what you do when you remember that you're risen with Christ? Do you know what you do? Look at verse verse 1 again. Look at what you do. When you remember you're risen with Christ, you then seek what is above, where Christ is seated, because you're risen with him. 
And do you know what you do when, when you remember? You're hidden with Christ. Look at verse 2 now. Look at verse 2. What do you do? You set your mind on what is above because that's where you are. That's where you're hidden, not what is on earth. So, what do you seek? What do you set your mind on? Is it on, on the things that are above where Christ is seated? Or have you, have we, have I, have we forgotten that we're risen and hidden with Christ? Because what, what you seek, that's, that's what you think about. Uh, what you seek, that's what you're anxious about. What you seek, what you set your mind on, that's what dominates and occupies your life. You see, what would people say that you seek? If people looked at my life and looked at what I did and looked at what I said and how I lived, what would they say about me? What would they say that I seek? It's a pretty confronting question, right, if, if you ask it that way. If people look at you, what do you think they would say about your life? What would they say you set your mind on? Would they say that, oh, yeah, that person, they set their mind on, on Jesus, on things that are above, on where Christ is seated? Would they say that? Or would they say that, oh, no, that person, they, they, they seek their mind and set their mind on the things of the earth? Money, career, experiences, holidays, hobbies, sports, food. All good things, all good things God's given us, but things that can so quickly, should we seek them or set our minds on them, become greed and materialism and gluttony and idolatry. You see, the starting point of Christian growth is to remember who you actually are. You are risen and hidden with Christ. So, so be who you are, because it's who you are. We, we must make a conscious effort to seek the things of Jesus, to set our minds on the things that are above where Jesus is seated, is seated and, and not on the earthly things, the, the, the earthly things that will perish in the end, because that's who we are. We're, we're, we're Christ's. And what Paul does next is get very practical about what that looks like. And now this is where the provocative line comes in, and we're up to point two now. Be a killer. So you have a look from verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, verse 5, because of who you are, therefore put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. You see, Paul's point, it's very simple. You are now risen and hidden with Christ. You have a new life in Him. So put to death what belongs to your old life. That, that old life, it's not you anymore. It's not who you are. That, that way of life is, is dead. And just notice the instruction. You see, it's not, it's, not like, uh, it's, not quite, it's not casual, right? It's not, look, why don't you consider when you get the chance, uh, when you get there, when it's convenient, perhaps maybe moving on from that old way of life? Now, the language here, it's really strong. Put to death. Kill it. You know, murder it with pleasure. Slay it. And as Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, he gets very specific about what they should put to death. And uh, look again there at the list in verse 5. Because in verse 5, it's all of a sexual nature. And there's a good chance that, that the things he, he's mentioning there are connected with their old pagan way of worship and, and the pagan worship of their day. So what they're to put to death is, is sexual immorality. 
That's any type of sexual behavior that is not the kind of behavior that God ordains. That the kind of sexual behavior that's only between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. And in purity and lust, it's in the same vein. Remember what Jesus said. Do you remember what he said on the Sermon on the Mount? To lust after a man or a woman who is not your husband, not your wife, that's to commit adultery in your heart. And evil desires and greed or or covetousness, that's to desire someone else's body for yourself, which is not for you if they're not your husband or your wife. So Paul's words here, that they could be quite specific to the Colossians and, and tied in to their old way of pagan worship, But regardless of the specifics, the point is really simple. It's really clear. Put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Whatever that might be, do not allow the things of the worldly nature to roam around in your life and in your actions because that's hugely dangerous. Uh, Let me give you a picture. If you saw a, um, a, a deadly spider in your room, and you were just about to head off to bed, or imagine a venomous snake there in your room, and it's, it's right there at the edge of your bed, you know, just about to go kind of up into the bed. You know, at that point, would you say to yourself, ah, she'll be right. Don't worry about it. I'll, ju- I'll just shoo it away from the, the corner of the bed, and I'll go to bed. It'll be okay. Uh, and then when you're asleep, you know, the snake slivers up the bed and under the sheets where you're sleeping, or uh, the spider crawls into your mouth, particularly if you're a snorer. Uh, everyone's going to have nightmares tonight. You don't do that. If there was a, a killer spider or a venomous snake in your room, you wouldn't go to bed. You'd kill it. You'd get rid of it. It's deadly. You see, putting to death what brings death, that's life-affirming. That's a good thing. It's pro-life. Putting to death what brings death is life-affirming. So don't indulge in the deadly. Don't meddle with it. And so what belongs to the old self, to the worldly nature of our sin, it's deadly. So what should you do? Put it to death. Kill it. Kill it. It's what John Owen, he was a a theologian from uh, the 1600s. He once famously said this. It's up on the screen. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Simple, Simple but profound. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that's what we're talking about here. It's because, verse 6, it's because of sin, verse 6, that God's wrath is coming. And now that you are risen and hidden with Christ, that is not you anymore. That life, it's not your life anymore. That's the old life. That's the pre-Jesus life. And so how are you going at putting those things to death? See, to grow as a Christian is to be a killer. So what of the things of the earth are you killing? A huge one, I think, in our modern world is materialism. And I don't mean to be the preacher that says the same, you know, kind of brings up the same examples. And This is real for us. We bring them up because they're real. More than ever, we live for things. We've become enslaved to things to our phones that we're never able to put down. And we we scroll endlessly down the screens of our, our phones like a gambling addict at a slot machine pulling the lever over and over again. That's our phones. It's the same thing. We want more and more things. We, want, we, we work more and more hours to buy those things. We acquire more and more debt. 
we spend endless hours researching, desiring, coveting over that next thing we want to buy. I know because I have the same temptations. You see, do we need to put our materialism to death? Is what we seek and set our minds on a thing instead of Jesus who's seated above? Or maybe, maybe it's our media consumption that we need to kill. And Netflix, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever else the latest one is that I've never heard about because there's a new one every month. Let, let me give you a gross but helpful image. Imagine an open sewer pipe gushing out hundreds and thousands of litres of raw sewage non-stop every second, minute after minute, hour after hour. And then imagine placing yourself right in front of that open sewer line, being, being drenched and soaked and, and flooded with the excrement of our world. Gross, right? I know. Horrible image. But that's the reality of our modern media. Every second, every minute, every hour through our TVs and radios, internet, social media, even advertisement. I, I can't escape the buses and the billboards and the train station signs advertising things that are not good for us. We're being drenched and soaked with the excrement of the worldly nature. We're being constantly fed waste and filth. You see, what chance do we have to seek the things that are above and set our minds on Christ if we endlessly expose ourselves to the media of our world? Do we need to put to death just how much media we consume? It's filth. Well, what about sexual immorality? You see, Paul, uh, Paul's words there have been specific to the Colossians, perhaps, about their, their pagan practices but, but sexual sin has been an issue in every single age. It just has. That, that's why the Bible does bring up sexual immorality. You see, our world says to us blatantly and boastfully, be sexually immoral. That's what our world says to us. Uh, it's the night tag. The world says, sex, just do it. Just do it. That's what our world says. Just do sexual immorality. It's great. It feels good. Nothing will go wrong. Don't worry. There are no consequences. Just do it. Rubbish. You see, do we need to kill sexual immorality? You know, the, the way our eyes linger and lust when it comes to that man or that woman. That the seemingly harmless office flirting. Kill it. The late night temptations, the, the R-rated movies, the shows and the series that you pick because you know they're going to be sexually explicit. Kill it. The time you have alone with your phone or your laptop in a room when no one else is around, kill it. Kill it before it kills you. Those things damage. We know that. And with all those examples and with many others we could think about, it, it's, it's not as though we kind of plunge into those things head first, right? We, we, don't just, we don't just kind of wake up one morning and decide we're going to be materialists. You know, I wake up one morning and I go, I'm going to live for things. I want to, I want to live for things and worship things. I, I, wanted to, I want to indebt myself and be indebted to stuff. We don't do that. We don't suddenly decide one morning and wake up and think, I'm going to stand in front of an open sewer and, and let the, the filth of the world feed me. As Christians, we do not wake up one morning and think, I'm going to be sexually immoral today. I'm going to cheat on my wife or my husband. 
Or I'm going to sleep with someone else's wife or husband if you're single because that's someone else's potential future wife or husband. We don't do that. We don't wake up one morning and think, ah, today I want to become addicted to pornography. No, it takes a hundred small bad decisions to get to that point. And so we need to kill those bad decisions. We need to put those small things to death. See, for years, I've put catalogs that they've come in the post straight in the bin. Because I know what I'm like, I get tempted to buy things. I I unsubscribe from all the marketing emails I get in my emails because I know that I'll be tempted to buy things. Uh, Many of us have decided to remove Facebook or Instagram or whatever else from our phones because we know when they're on our phone, we spend too much time on them. Uh, It's a good rule of thumb to never be alone in a room, especially at night, with a laptop for both men and women, but especially men. Porn addiction is rampant. You see, we need to be killers. Put to death, God says, it's not good for us. It's not what's best. And make a conscious decision to seek what is above. We have to make that decision to set our minds on Jesus because he's the one who will help us put those things to death. He, he will help us. He, he understands our temptation. He has been human, and he knows it better than anyone else because when he was tempted, he never sinned. So he's able to help us better than anybody else because when we're tempted, we often sin, but Jesus never sinned. He can help us. See, the more we look to Jesus and listen to his word as we have it in the Bible, the more that will change your desires. Your desires will change as you look to Jesus. And you want more and more to put to death the things that are of the earth because you want more and more to become like Jesus because you look at him. See, we've got to put those things of the worldly nature to death because they ultimately do us harm. And they never deliver what they promise. We know that. You buy the thing, it's going to make your life better. No, it doesn't. Maybe for a day until it plays up and needs a software update and you go nuts over it. But look at what else. Look at verse 8. Look at what else we need to put off. Verse 8. But now you must also put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And these things, they're mostly things to do with our speech. Uh, Anger often expresses itself in words. Malice is to speak something hurtful to someone with intent. You want to hurt them with your word. It's worse than anger because anger sometimes is sporadic. A slander, slander is to say that hurtful thing behind their back because perhaps you're too cowardly to say it to their face, to gossip about them, denigrate them. A filthy language is to speak words that are not noble or right or pure, words that are of the things of the filth of our world. And sadly, as Christians, the more we consume the world's media, then the more we become filthy in our language which means Christians don't stand out anymore as different because we just sound and look like everybody else. You see, how are we going at being killers? How are you going at putting to death what belongs to your worldly nature? Do you find it hard? Is it difficult? Do you struggle to do it? If you do, if you find it hard, can I say, good, (laughs) That's great. That's good because that means you're doing it. If you struggle, that is a good thing. To grow as a Christian, we'll need to keep putting to death the old worldly nature. 
And it is hard, but if you find it hard, it's good because you're doing it. What I really worry about, who I'm scared for, is the person who does not find it hard. Who does not struggle to put to death because they don't try at all. That person is giving into the world. That person is seeking and setting their mind not on Jesus, but on something or someone else. Don't be that person. We must work at putting to death. And it takes time. See, it's a process. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. So verse 9, you have, that's past tense, it's already happened. You have put off the old self with its practices. And verse 10, you have, again, past, uh, past tense, it's happened. You have put on the new self. But look at what comes next. You are being, present tense, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. It's a process. So you get the picture there? Yes, you, you have put off the old self because you died with Christ and you've put on the new because you're raised with Christ, but we're still growing into the new self, growing into the Christ self. Uh, I explain it like the first day of primary school. So if you remember the first day of primary school, uh, every kindy kid is basically swimming in their uniform. Uh, here's a visual for you up on the screen. That's actually Adele, I think, wearing Sebastian's new kindy clothes about seven or so years ago. But, you know, you get that kind of image, right? Kindy kids, they're often swimming in their uniforms. They haven't grown into them yet. It takes time for them to grow into it. That's the Christian life. We are risen and hidden with Jesus. Fact. We have the new clothes on. Fact. That's reality. They're on. We're in Jesus. But we're growing into those clothes. We're growing to be more like Jesus. And that is something we do until Jesus returns. Until that day of glory and revealing comes. And until that day, we've got to continually put to death. And final point now, it's something we do until Jesus comes together. Point three, we kill together. And this is, point, uh, this is the point of verse 11. Have a quick look at verse 11. So verse 11, in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And uh, one, of, one of the unfortunate things when it comes to our English language is that we don't have the word use. You know how people like to say use? How use going? Um, uh, we don't have the plural of you, which is really annoying because in our English translations here, we never know if the you is singular, so you, James, or if the you is plural, as in yous, all of yous. But everything in this section that we've read so far, it's yous. Yous together, put these things to death. Uh, yous together, put off these things. Yous together are being renewed in the image of your creator. It's all together language. And that is lovely because we're called to be killers together. Uh, or to use a bad illustration, like an Italian mafia mob, we're to kill sin together. We're to be mobsters together. You see, we don't do this alone. We help each other. That's why Sunday church is really important. That's why your hope group is really important. That's why one-to-ones and meeting with people and reading the Bible and praying with people is really important. It's very hard to be a lone assassin when it comes to sin. The devil is clever. 
Sin looks to devour us, but we are all one in Christ together, and so we can help one another. And so here's one very practical thing to do as I finish up. One very practical thing to do is to ask someone to help you to put to death. Ask a trusted Christian friend, ask your spouse, ask your hope group leader, ask someone who's a Christian. All of us here have things that we need to put to death. We we all have things that we need to put off when it comes to our Christian life. Next week, it's the positive week. See, I'm the nice uh, pastor here. I've given the kill, our student minister, the nice put-on week, the positive stuff. And I get to do all the bad guy stuff. But uh, it's good for us, but you you know what I mean. Next week will be the put-on week. This week, it's the put-off week, the put-to-death week. And we all have things we need to kill. I know you do, because I know I do, because I know we're all still struggling with sin. So tell a fellow Christian what that is. Do that. Do it. Don't, Don't let me say that now and then you forget later. Write it down if you have to. Whatever it is, do it. Tell someone what is something you want to help. Ask for their help in to put to death. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to keep you accountable. God has given your church family for that very reason. God has given us each other. Praise God. Because we need each other. So brothers and sisters, remember who you are. You are risen and hidden with Christ. So seek him. Set your mind on him. And in so doing, put to death what belongs to the worldly nature. Amen.